Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring your hosts, Heisey Luckmers and Charlie Harrington. The Amethyst Oracle. Delves into life, death, and everything betwixt between and beyond. Between and beyond. Between and beyond. With a clear twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. And now, here are your hosts, Charlie Harrington and Heidi Wittenberg. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for listening this evening. Uh, My name is Hi-C, and momentarily we will be joined by my co-host, Charlie Harrington. Uh, While we're waiting for him to connect in, let me just give you a little housekeeping. Um, As you uh, will probably already know, uh, you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theamethystorical. We're always happy to have people both like the page, we, we love to see our numbers go up, uh, as well as pop over there to engage in conversation, to offer your insights about something that maybe we talk about on the show, uh, or if you try something out that we talk about, we'd love to hear how that goes for you, or if you have something additional to add. Um, also, if you ever are listening and there's a guest that we interview and you have a question for them, you can always leave it on our show page and we'll make sure that they uh, receive the question and that they will then respond to you. So uh, hopefully you will do that. Um, you can also find out more about us on Twitter. Uh, we are the Big Amethysto, so feel free to follow us there if you would like. Uh, you can always find me, uh, well, I'm on Facebook, if you look for Tarot by High C. Um, you can always email me at high C at Tarot by high C dot net if you would like to inquire about a reading or something like that. Uh, I'm very excited about our guest this evening. I think you will probably find... Uh, the topics and the information that he's going to talk about quite interesting because even though some of it may sound familiar, um, like Tarot or that kind of thing, um, you may find that he's going to have a particularly unique spin on it or maybe a, a different approach to it because of the way he does it being rooted in some other traditions, particularly in the Southern uh, style and and some ways that they kind of do it there that maybe just are a little bit different than what you're used to or what you are familiar with. Uh, That's Lou Flores, who will be coming up uh, in just a few minutes. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring in my co-host, Charlie Harrington. Hello, Charlie. Well, hello, hi C. I have to say I love what you did with the show intro. <laughs> I thought, you know, it's 2014, we're going into our second year, it's spring, we need a little spring cleaning, freshen up that music right and on. sound. We, we need to have a little, little work done, is what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> that, right yes, on. and hopefully it didn't show. 
<laughs> Everyone enjoys the results, but they can't quite tell how it was done. Yes, that's why I only like tea legs. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's good to be back again with you. I'm very excited about uh, tonight. I'd say that over the last couple of years, hoodoo and conjure traditions have become um, very popular again, very very much having a, a renaissance. Um, it does seem that, that way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And, that, and uh, it, uh, well, I was going to say, and it, it, it's similar to kind of the renaissance we're seeing with the Lenormand, um, mm-hmm. which will also be featuring on our show uh, next month with Mary Greer. Little hint, uh, little tease. Um, Ooh, you tease. Uh, but but it's interesting that some of these older styles that kind of perhaps fell out of favor are mm-hmm. starting to come back and. Part of that, I think, is is a, a natural cycle of things, but I also think it's because people are willing to refresh them, not just copy how they were done before, but to make them more uh, modern in some ways without sacrificing the older aspects of it. Um, and I think that's something that would be interesting to perhaps hear uh, Lou's perspective on because I'd like to see if he has... Well, I know that he has some perspectives on that because I know some of the things that he's working on, and so it'll be interesting to hear how he's bringing the old into the new world without mm-hmm. betraying that old root. Absolutely. I'm work. really interested to see what he has. <laughs> I see what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> root working. That's so right. um, speaking of time, that was my worst segue ever in the history of me doing segues. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I thought maybe we could start the show off or uh, talking a little bit about timing and tarot, a lot of time, I love times, often you'll be giving someone a reading and you'll go through the reading and it seems to be hitting on all levels and things sound really great and they're agreeing with you and then out of nowhere you'll get, so when, does this, when is this going to happen? Or sometimes it starts off right at the get-go and people's uh, questions will be, like, when will, I, when will this happen? Um, or what's going to happen in the next year. And I was just thought we could have a little conversation. So I think you and I handle timing and tarot a little differently, and it might be sort of interesting to uh, peruse through. Sure. And and I do find that I I get a lot of questions related to that because very often questions like, when am I going to a new job? Or Mm -hmm. when is time for me to sell my house? Or when would be good time? Or can I expect to be getting news regarding the publishing of my book? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, and and I, you know, I find timing a very interesting thing because I always try to give the caveat to people that we can look at when it says. I'm not about giving like you know on April 27th at 5 yeah. p.m. You need to do this. <laughs> Versus understanding when during the year might be a good time. I mean, I, I can do techniques that will kind of narrow it down for when would be particular times, uh, maybe within a particular week or something like that. But I also think it's important to look at the rest of the reading and not just look at it from a timing perspective to understand what has to happen or what is necessary to transpire before or to make that timing as relevant or correct as it may be indicating in that moment. Yeah, I think, so my, my original position on this, if someone said that, I would just sort of say, well, we're looking at, I would just dodge 
I would just dodge, and you can too, listener. <laughs> you can just say, like, uh, you know, I'm looking at what you can do right now or looking more about possibilities for the present and what is going to stem from these actions, what can come forth, and it'll depend on all these factors. And I did that for a long time, and that felt like the typical tarot reader rephrase the question because you're uncomfortable with the question sort of approach. And I never had anyone ultimately I seemed to be very satisfied with that like oh, oh wonderful great <laughs> but um yeah <laughs> but finally <laughs> thank goodness what a relief to me um and like a lot of things with a lot of things in tarot like sex you start off thing like thinking like that's not I'm not going to go down that road I'm not going to do that I'm not going to give predictions or I'm not going to uh, read about people who aren't here all these whatever it is right and you start off with your your, your practice being very defined and then then, like sex, you start to explore <laughs> a bit, and so I think there are ways. Yes, I, I mean it's if the client if the client is letting you know, the querent, the the sitter is letting you know that time is of importance to them, or that the topic of time is of importance. I think it it pays to engage in the idea yeah. that that may be important, and so the my very earliest, very easy technique for that that is just a very simple way is um, just with the client right off the bat, decide that you're, decide that the spread you're going to do is going to look at the next, bleh. I always picked the next three months because I felt like that is about as much time as a person can really work on something, you know, and, 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 and remember the reading and, and actually be, be making effort towards that change and still have it be productive. So just setting the expectation before the cards are even laid down that, well, let's look at the next three months. So it's one technique. Yes. Although there, are you really looking at when something is going to happen or simply what needs to happen or they need to be doing within the next three months? Oh, because if what they're asking about doesn't show up in the three cards for the next three months, do you just say it's not happening at this time or do you have ways to then look at when it may actually be a good time or when it may actually happen? You know, it's funny. The, um, remember when you had a magic eight ball when you were a kid and you would shake it and it would say, like, answer unclear, inquire again later. And I always found that very disappointing. And I think I always just instantly shook it again. So, <laughs> okay, um, it's later. It's, it's I, 20 seconds has gone by. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think this particular technique, um, as far as timing, it's not suited to if someone has a specific question about timing that they, they, they enunciate at the beginning. Like if someone said, when will I have a new job? I probably wouldn't use, let's look at the next three months. But this, if someone said, I want to look at my career, I might say, oh, let's look at the next three months of my career. Just so that at the end of the thing, we're not, we're not getting like, oh, it looks like something new could be emerging for you. Oh, when? Oh, okay. Now I forget right. that. <laughs> yeah. So and and, and I, I do tend to, and I do tend to do that as well. But And I usually will have a short-term and a long-term uh, outlook position oh, yeah. um, where the short-term is the next one to three months, uh, mm. which just says what's, what's coming next or what's the next step or the next course of action. Um, just like with you, though, it says it's within a short period of time. So it's, it's within a manageable amount of time for somebody to be able to say, okay, this is what I need to do next. doesn't mean I have to do it tomorrow if that's not feasible. So I have mm-hmm. a little bit of time, but I certainly don't want to just put it off, put it off, put it off. Yeah. And, and then the, another the, way is the, to just engage with the question, like when, like let's say that the reading suggests, I don't know, that they 
get some professional training, let's just say, eight of pentacles, something like that. And you might ask, when could you get training? When could you, when would you be able to make room for this in your life? Right. But with that long-term card in there as well, it's it's Mm -hmm. a nice, it's a nice um, balance for that because on the one hand it says, like if, if somebody was asking about something and it, indicated in the short term in the next few months it doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen or it's not very feasible or it's not the right time instead of them just leaving disappointed the Mm long-term card may show something more favorable it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of explaining okay this isn't something that is right around the corner or is best for you right around the corner however in the longer term scheme of things it is coming so if somebody's asked about that education thing it -hmm. might indicate not to go back in the next few months However, mm-hmm. in the longer, bigger picture of things, then yes, it looks like education is going to be something good for you to do. Um, it, it, now, I will pull cards for timing to start looking at when mm-hmm. might be a good time. Uh, you know, and so I do have different techniques that I use to look at those kind of things because I've been willing to dive into that pool and oh, right on. take a chance. And I always tell people I am more than happy to be wrong. You know, I don't claim <laughs> to be always right. I don't claim to, you know, see into the future and it's going to happen like that no matter what. Um, so I always, I claim, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to claim my humanness in the <laughs> equation. <laughs> um, and so a couple of the ways that I might look at things um and and it depends on how I'm doing it because if I'm looking at the short-term, long-term card positions, I can mm-hmm. look at those to see what needs to come next by interpreting the card and then look at it for timing within that time period. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I might look at the suit to represent, and here I, I tend to tie into astrology a lot. Um, I might mm-hmm. look at the suit uh, based on its element, like earth, air, fire, water, to then see what uh, zodiac sign that may indicate in the sense of if let's say it was eight of pentacles like you said in the short term mm-hmm. which is earth then to me that might say you know either look for an opportunity or something may be coming or the time to start doing this or work on this would be um, in the next earth sign mm-hmm. so depending on where we are in the year I would look mm-hmm. to see when is the next Earth sign. And that, like, if that was right now, it would be fairly soon because Taurus is coming up. It's going to start April 20th. However, if we were in May, then that next Earth sign isn't going to be until Virgo, which is going to push us out mm-hmm. to, like, September. So, you know, that it, it has that bearing. And then, of course, I can get more specific because, like, mm-hmm. the aces represent just that time period overall just that sign overall whereas yeah. two three four would be during the first 10 days of the sign four, uh, two, four five six seven would be in the second 10 days of the sign and eight nine ten would be in the third days of the sign third 10 days of the sign yeah. you know so so i can start to narrow it down that way I, i've i've um another way to do it is just to sort of divide the year into four quadrants and there's there's different tarot systems for that um, mine happens to be like for example if you mentioned pentacles so that would be winter uh since uh the winter solstice um begins with an earth sign um so the system i work with happens to you know look at that at it that way um but i know a right. lot of other people and, winter and, and they're 
And there you're giving a, a three-month window because mm-hmm. you're looking at the season. So you would just say mm-hmm. during the winter season. So during mm-hmm. December, January, February would be a good time. Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah. James Rickliffe has an interesting system that I thought was kind of cool in that he ascribes the suits of the minor arcana uh, to wands being days, swords being weeks, cups being months, and pentacles being years in terms of speed. I've seen some people adapt that to be very specific, so they look at three of swords and say, oh, three weeks. I think personally, my personally, I feel like that's that's a very specific (laughs) It is, but I will say it's a technique that I will use. Oh, excellent. um, and, and sometimes, but that can be adapted depending on what kind of time period you're looking at, you know, because if somebody is saying, I just put, you know, I put my house on the market and I, I know this probably doesn't happen, but let's say they put it on the market and they say, I can only leave it on the market for another four weeks, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or when should, so within that four weeks, when should I change the price? You know, so should I lower the price in order to speed up the sale? When should I do that? Well, there I wouldn't necessarily do days, weeks, months, years because that's not going to make any sense. Correct. But you can still apply the same principle and say, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, even though really Mm -hmm. there's not months in there. But, um, you know, and so wands Mm -hmm. would say, you know, if it was three of wands, it would say within the next three days, you know, Mm -hmm. I would lower the price. And that will probably generate interest or a sale. You know, if it was three of cups, then it might say, well, either three weeks from now or in the third week. But, you know, so you can start to apply it that way uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of um, adjusting that system to work within the context of what kind of timing somebody may be asking about or working within. Uh, and I do a, a similar thing with the seasons, like you were talking about, where mm-hmm. I will look at the, the the number of the card will indicate the week within the season. So again, uh. if it was, well, for you, Pentacles is see for me, Pentacles is fall. Um, mm-hmm. is, but Wands is Wands summer for you, so we're working from the same. Uh, mine would be Wands spring. Oh, fire is uh, begins with Aries. Okay then. Um, yes. <laughs> Well, so I think this is, uh, uh, brings up an important point. There is no right way to do it. And what's more right. important, this is what I always tell my students, the, the, the important thing to do is to determine what system or systems are you going to use and how are you going to use them. So if wands is summer for me versus wands is spring for you, that's fine. Just be consistent with it. Because your cards get to know you and develop a relationship with you, and therefore they know what to show you to give you the information you need for the reading. I agree. So it's just being consistent with the system and the way that you work with that system that is the important thing, regardless of whether it's different from a book or how somebody else may do it. So for me, wands is summer, and therefore like the four of wands would be the fourth week of summer. So now because it's generally thought of that summer starts with summer solstice, let us not get into why that's really the middle of summer. Um, So what I would (laughs) say there is four weeks from summer solstice. So basically mid-July Mm because summer solstice is mid-June. And here again, I I tend, I will generalize it a little bit. You know, I'm not looking for it's going to be July 27th. 
<laughs> I'm exactly. just going to say, you know, around the middle of July or around the end of September or, you know, just depending on what the number is, but that's how I can kind of narrow it down is use the number for the week within the season. Uh, and then court cards come in there as well. And I tend to just break the season down by into quarters. And so, you know, the, the first three weeks of the season are the child. That's when the season is coming into being. You know, so the page would be within the first three weeks of the season. The king would be in the last three weeks of the season. Um, so that's how I incorporate the court cards if they come up. As, uh, But I also will then talk about how that may indicate dealing with someone, getting somebody's help or somebody coming into the picture may also be a part. But pay attention, especially during that time period because that's most likely when you may connect with that person. Wonderful. And I, and I love just to, just to bring it back at the end of that, to, to mentioning that your disclaimer with the client about the timing, that this is, you know, you're using your system, you're taking a look at timing, and this is when it, it feels to you like this would, you know, when it will be based on the, the techniques that you use, you know, and just giving that, caveat I think is is just super important <laughs> so right. and, and you I've can, noticed that like if I if you, in the reading I say like hmm, well it looks like at the end of summer you're going to you know this will happen you get kind of an ooh from the client like you just yeah. saw something <laughs> and you get that mystique and you want as a reader you want to just go with it and pretend that, you know, like that you just saw that and you're like well caveat that's just my system <laughs> so well but but that but the caveat doesn't somehow disqualify or lessen the system it just means mm -hmm. that you're making it clear this is how i work so if you go to a different reader they may do it differently or or say that yeah you know find their timing differently but that doesn't mean that the way you're doing it somehow needs to be lessened with the caveat um the, the other thing i would say with astrology too because this is more well you can certainly do this with, see, so like with the court cards, for example, you can also look at them because each of the court cards represent a, a zodiac sign. And so you can, you can, like the king of cups would be Pisces. Well, queen and king of cups would be Pisces. So if that came up for in a timing question, then that would probably indicate around the time of Pisces. Um, with major arcana cards, you can also... Um, now I know some some people will say that if a major arcana card comes up, first of all, it means that it's going to happen quickly, you know, or sooner. Um, and if it's reversed, then there's a delay or it's going to take some time. Um, but I also will look at the astrology that is associated with the major arcana. And again, sometimes my astrology association is different than what some of the other systems or books will say. But like if somebody was asking and let's say the star card came up as the question, I mean, as the response for timing then, you know, for me, star card is Aquarius. So that would say that seems to be the most ideal time for whatever it is that they're asking about. And sometimes that's great because Aquarius may be two months from now. Other times people may give out a little bit of a sigh <laughs> because if they got that right now, it'd be like, really, a year from now? I'm like, well, yes, you know, but sometimes. But that's where the rest of the reading mm -hmm, is really going to help indicate what needs to happen and what you need to do to be best prepared for that at that time when it comes. Uh, so that that I just wanted to toss it in. That's another way because is using the astrological correspondences for especially the major arcana, although you can do that for the minor arcana too, um, is, is one way to also see when in terms of a particular time during the year. 
Absolutely. So lots to try um, <laughs> for people who want to well, add and, a bit more depth to that reading. And, and I would encourage people to, if they want to try that, just practice and try out different systems. Experience to see what feels right for you, what works best for you, and do it with real-world questions. You know, just just ask a simple question maybe limit it to something that you're thinking of doing within the week or whatever, and you could say, you know, what day, and there's another way to do it, of course, is you could say what day would be best for me to do that this week, and then you just lay out seven cards. You know, I'll do that when people ask, like, what the year looks like. Just lay out, it's basically a zodiac reading, but lay out 12 cards, one for each month, and then really start looking at what months are good, what months are more challenging, and what areas it may be challenging, and that kind of thing. Um, when to pay attention to something, when to be cautious about something, you know. So those are also a couple of other ways to do it, where you're not so much nailing down a time in terms of predicting something as you're giving people a sense of when good times are and when more challenging times are so that they can plan accordingly. Let the good times roll, I say. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So I would encourage people to try those out. Uh, you know, find systems, whether it's the ones that we just talked about, but there's other systems as well that you can find either on the Internet or in books and that kind of thing. Um, I would encourage people not to be afraid to just try them just to see how it works for them, because they may be surprised like you were that it's something that they start to feel comfortable experimenting with. Um that can lead them, add some depth to the readings that they do or give them another aspect of uh, readings that they can start to look at and utilize. Uh, so that that would be my encouragement. <laughs> so that said, now, it might be time for our guest. It is. According uh, to my so cards, I used the system and I got the... <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, it's that in three minutes. In three minutes. would be the perfect time to bring in our guest, Lou Flores. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we will be joined by our guest, Lou Flores. Listening to the Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist with hosts Hi C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L I V E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show. This month on the Amethyst Oracle is mystic arts and spiritual teacher Lou Flores. Lou Flores is an internationally known speaker and lecturer of folk magic traditions of the South. He is a deeply rooted spirit worker, priest, and medium who has studied with indigenous elders and medicine holders from across the globe. In 2008, 
Lu was confirmed as an Olorisha and priest of Shango under Yanifa Ifalade Tashia Asanti of Ila Ori Ogbe Egun and is a Tata Enkisi in the Bakongo tradition. Lu also holds the titles of High Priest through a neo-pagan tradition and he has studied and apprenticed with curanderos and hoodoo workers throughout the South. Lou is a graduate apprentice of Catherine Ironwood's Hoodoo Rootwork Correspondence Course and is a member of the Association of Independent Readers and Rootworkers, also known as AIR, a gathering of professional practitioners of African-American folk magic, hoodoo, conjure, and rootwork who provide psychic readings and spiritual root doctoring services to the public. So please join Charlie and Hi-C in welcoming to the Amethyst Oracle, Lou Flores. And welcome uh, hi, to the love. show, Lou Flores. Hello. Hi, how are you all? Thank you so much for having me on tonight. The studio audience obviously is thrilled to have you here. And I will say just from... Right at the beginning, I'm just going to apologize if I massacred the pronunciation of any of those names. <laughs> no, no apologies necessary. And I know, I mean, specifically coming from a Yoruba uh, tradition, it's hard to uh, uh, pronounce everything correctly sometimes. In order to be uh, appropriate, I stood up when he said Shango. <laughs> Are you a Shango yourself? Oh, no, but I just know I was told by Luisa Tish when someone says that you stand up, so I did it again. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and I was really interested in the conversation that y'all were having earlier on timing um, within the tarot. I thought that was such a, a beautiful way of engaging it and a way of, you know, developing a technique for, uh, you know, teaching others how to engage that, that kind of transitory space. Well, I think we can use that just to jump right in. So in, in first, if you can tell people some of the different uh, tools and techniques that you use, but also if you do incorporate timing and prediction, if you want to use that word, in the, the ways that you approach divination and oracular work. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for that question. And, um, you know, one of the uh, well. One of the ways that I work, um, I do tarot, astrology. Um, my astrology isn't as, as tight as I would like it to be, uh, but have been studying it for a while. Uh, numerology, uh, Delogun, which is a Yoruba-based Arusha uh, divination system using 16 Kauri divination, and it's where you specifically are uh, speaking with the Arusha. It's a conversation between you and them. Um, and then I also do like a little bit of each change just for myself every now and then whenever I feel that, that need or that call to do it. Um, and that's pretty much uh, the majority of, of the uh, general ways that I do divination. Um, in terms of just the, the, uh, the timing around, uh, the timing around the tarot card readings and, and things like that, uh, one of the biggest things that I, w- that I learned was that, that some of the cards inherently have timing um, as part of their meaning. Um, everything from like the Eight of, of Wands, which is the out and flying card, which for me is very indicative of within the next two weeks, this specific event or there's energy that's erupting, um, you know, within this next two weeks to cause uh, something to happen. Um, I think that also like the Three of Cups is another uh, indicator of timing. Um, that for me talks about a general sense of like with over this last month, you have been uh, almost feeling uh, like 
everything takes more time and energy, that kind of exaggerated movement, almost like you're walking with tar, and now you're on the other side of it and where you've been waiting for phone calls, specifically like in business matters or where you're waiting for people to get back with you, now they're going to be calling within the next like, 24 to 48 to 72 hours. Um, so it's that real like shift in, in, um, shift in energy and, and that shift of, of, um, from, you know, malaise to kind of like our stagnancy to moving forward. Um, there's other things like the uh, hair font for me is very indicative of your gene space is being visited by your ancestors, by, you know, your kind of like spiritual guides. And literally within 24 to 48 hours of having that card come up, there's going to be important messages that, that are coming through that dream space um, and for you to be very attentive to them. Those are just three examples that I like to use, but I think that there are, you know, a lot of other cards besides those that, for me, have that kind of timing mechanism as part of their interpretation, or at least the way that I learned. Um, and, and where I come from, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a southern boy. I was born and raised in Dallas, um, and I grew up in a couple of different tarot, house, uh, tarot houses, like some in Dallas, um, through there's this amazing teacher named Marie who uh, owned, who owned a, a phenomenal um, metaphysical shop called Scorpio Herbs back in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and, you know, I learned from her and then uh, ended up studying with some people like in Baton Rouge and New Orleans and then just also talking and kind of networking with some readers out in Georgia and um, uh, Tennessee. You know, there, there are all these different, like, ways of interpreting specifically within the Hindu or, like, the work style of reading. Um, and each one of us have has you know, different interpretations as to you know what means what in terms of the timing. But one of the big things that I've uh, recognized is I think um, at, at least in Hoodoo there's a bigger emphasis on you know when is this going to happen? Like that's great, you know that's great that Aunt Sue who's dead is coming over and giving me information. But unless she you know can tell me when the rent or you know when the lovers popping up, like that's the immediate information that I need right now. If that makes sense. It does. Um, <laughs> so so uh, you say that you grew up in Dallas. What is it that um, brought you into the world of divination and hoodoo and magic and all of those kind of things? Was that part of your family history or something that you discovered on your own in some way at some point in your life? Well, you know, I grew up a uh, folk Catholic, which I'm sure a lot of people out there, you know, have very parallel stories in terms of, you know, the, the magical, quote-unquote, magical things that we did that we always thought were just what everybody did. Um, but later on, you know, kind of learned that, oh, no, this is just kind of the way that my family works. Um, everything from, you know, like Lucky Charms to, you know, certain prayers and novenas that you do when somebody's sick to, um, you know, like uh, protection working, things like that, just always seemed very within the, the, the folk customs or just, just what you do, you know, type of thing. And then whenever I turned um, like 13, 14, I had a real um, intense spiritual illness that hit, um, was, went, went to the doctors and like tried to get diagnosed and just kind of nothing, nothing helped, nothing um, that they were kind of prescribing. They were actually doing worse, uh, uh, um, having worse ramifications on my body than what was actually, you know, the cause of it. 
Um, and it ended up being a spiritual element um, that some elders recognized. Um, my parents took me through, you know, the regular, you know, the Western, you know, medicine through, you know, spiritual counseling and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until they actually uh, brought me to some elders in the Curandismo tradition, uh, folk traditions of like uh, um, Latin America and specifically Mexico, um, that I started to kind of come into my being and, and start to realize that this was something that I, that I had a passion for and that I wanted to learn more. Um, from there, I then studied um, with that amazing teacher, Mariah uh, Marie uh, on Scorpio Herbs, and then she introduced me to some other elders, like in the Budun um, and uh, West African, like Orisha styles of, of the tradition. And then in 2004, that's whenever um, I ended up, you know, taking my full priesthood in Uba, um, and then just kind of have been learning and, and kind of amalgamating different different um, healing techniques into my own practice. Uh, but I, the way that I usually work is I do tarot cards specifically with hoodoo, and then I do the lagoon, like do the orisha, and I keep them very separate in terms of, you know, the altars that I work and how I work in that regard, but they're, they were very parallel. Um, they're, they're good, um, you know, cousins uh, in, some way, in some ways, in that way. You, you know, it's interesting when anyone works in multiple systems, there's always that little bit of that moment when you're about to divine something, you're like, okay, wait, which system, which deck do I want to ask right now? Like which, which method? And so you mentioned that you, 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 you separate them by like, by more like magical tradition. Um, uh, I noticed that like tarot well, likes to absorb everything and, and make like an I Ching tarot deck, a rune tarot deck, but you keep them quite separate. It sounds like. Uh, well, I, I keep them separate, but, but there's a way in which like, because I know how to read Odu, like which is the Delagoon, um, that has informed the way that I read tarot and vice versa. Um, and for me, tarot, like, it's a lot less pressure in terms of what I'm being asked to do on behalf of clients. Like, um, and I don't know if this makes sense, but, you know, I feel like I have a little bit more wiggle room to, like, you know, these are things that, that you could, you know, consider working with. These are some, some you know, ritual workings that, that, you know, might have an effect here, might help push you in certain ways. Um, and it requires less as a diviner to actually, you know, you give them the prescription, you tell them how to do it, you know, they, they kind of go off and have their own experience. Um, versus where, you know, as a priest, you know, and with the lagoon, I, you know, if something comes up saying that they need initiation immediately or, you know, there's an emergency I'm required as, you know, my vows and my oaths to stand up with that client no matter what and to be there, be there with them, you know, you know, and having to kind of do emergency, you know, kind of like spiritual work, you know, that would be very intense um, and, and very labor, um, labor drawn. So I usually, unless somebody asks for that type of reading, I kind of keep that back a little bit just because it requires a whole lot more life force in my opinion. Can, can you explain just in a little nutshell, little elevator pitch of the different traditions that you work within and what they have to offer, um, both in terms of how they blend, but also how they are unique and how you would go to one versus the other for particular reasons or purposes? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I mean, overall, like I said, um, the, the majority of the way that I work, both internally 
I mean, whenever I need kind of a more faster, like, you know, MacGyver type of magic is whenever I hit the tarot. You know, that tells me, okay, you know, two of swords, you know, somehow I'm crossing myself. You know, whether that's somebody, you know, an external form of crossing or an internal form of crossing, um, and that, that immediately tells me, okay, so I have to, you know, do an uncrossing bath or do some road opening work um, as well as kind of look at the internal space where I might be, you know, in that defensive position and need to kind of exhale out of that and relax and take the blinders off, you know, so to speak. Um, so so um, much more of the hoodoo for me is, is uh, and it can be liberate, liberative, and that's where I'm taking it, and that's where I'm, I'm kind of transitioning to in my own practice. But it's much more of the quick, like, okay, so I, I, you know, have somebody who's gossiping, you know, on me. How can I kind of change that energy around? I have these specific conditions. How can I kind of, you know, work with them in the here and now to get them going? Um, and it definitely, you know, in, in my opinion, um, has anywhere between, like, a 75 to 80% success rate, depending on, you know, the conditions and the circumstances of a, of a client's life, um, you know, that, that I usually see that kind of fall in pattern depending on, on the way that I'm reading, you know, with the cards um, or my accuracy in that way. Um, De Lagoon, uh, while the, uh, the Odu or, uh, and, you know, the Orisha system, uh, it's a religious system versus a magical system. So, there's um, kind of an overlay of, you know, working with these specific spirits that cultivate evolution that are about, you know, kind of me claiming my inherent birthrights and, like, what does it look like to engage, you know, my ancestors, the elements, the, you know, the, embodied, the embodiment of, like, race and divinity and how it kind of manifests, you know, throughout, um, throughout the cosmos. And um, what the Abelagunda is, um, it, it speaks through Odu, which are the kind of like the 16 um, forms of consciousness that created, um, that created the world or created uh, reality as we see it. Um, and, uh, and so they, they give very pinpoint, you know, information regarding the situation and the type of um, offerings that you need, the type of behavior modifications that you can you know, work through, but it's, it's limited in terms of the scope. Like if you're, you know, if you're uh, divining on, you know, will I have a baby, it will tell you all about that situation of fertility, but not necessarily talking about, okay, well, you know, by, by the way, you know, you're also getting $100, you know, on the DL just by, you know, walking down the street or what have you, you know? So it's, it's very much like fine-tuned, very pinpoint, um, in terms of its accuracy, and for me, is a little bit more um, because it, it's the mouthpiece of the Orisha. It's the literal, you know, this is what's going to happen. It, it's taken a little bit more literally versus tarot, which for me is, is working with metaphor, um, or at least a little bit more, um, you know, flexibility in terms of metaphor. If that makes sense. Um, and then curanderismo um, is, uh, I mean, basically it's like Mexican hoodoo in some ways um, and stems from, uh, you know, the, the natives of Mexico, like the Aztecas, the Zapotecas, um, uh, those are the two main forms that you see right now um, through Mexico and through the U.S. And that works with, with um, you know, basically like spirits again. Um, it's, a, it's a very much 
uh, divining, um, kind of reading uh, specific cultural scripts that are going on with the client and figuring out how to, how to adjust yourself or work with them. So, and what I mean by that is, like, um, if somebody comes in with, with a case of, like, evil eye or, or you know, something like that, shoestool, which is shock, you know, that, that's where I go to those kind of, like, cultural-specific traditions of, you know, well, this is what shock looks like in the way that I have encountered it, so this is how I can heal it. Um, and, or, like, malaho, which is, you know, the evil eye, okay, so I can do an egg cleansing, I can, you know, prescribe uh, some head washing, things like that to, you know, cleanse that off of you. Um, I'm not sure if that makes sense or not, but but that's the way that I use them in different situations or the way that I engage the the energy. And when you talk about giving the prescriptions, which are, I think, really just magical techniques and tools that people can use for whatever the purpose is that they may need it for, um, it's kind of like the magical medicine. Uh, yeah. Is is that something that anyone can employ and do and use for themselves, or do they have to go to you or have somebody else do that for them because either they don't know how to do it or they aren't from a particular tradition or something like that? Honestly, I mean, the majority of my workings, I like to have my clients do it because it... Uh, grounds them in the moment and have, has them take kind of co-action in their own lives versus me doing all the altar work and then, you know, like it becoming kind of a commodity. Um, I have, I mean, I, I do team up um, and do supporting work on my side or, you know, if it's, if it's like making a, a doll baby and they, they don't have confidence in making a doll baby, I do that kind of work that's a little bit more than just like lighting a candle or, you know, giving a bath or, you know, things like that. Um, in terms of the Arusha working, um, most of most of what comes in is offering. So, you know, Oshun wants a pumpkin and some honey and five pennies with a candle or with a yellow candle, you know, uh, burned on, on your personal altar and then, you know, given uh, to her, you know, at, on the river. You know, so, so that would be like kind of a prescription that might come across in the Lagoon reading. Um, the only the only reason why uh, I would be involved past that would be an initiation. So if somebody you know has it in their um, in their odu that that in order for them to take this next step and evolve you know into a higher form of consciousness or to you know take this next step actively in their life to get the job, then they might need the warriors or they might need a specific um, you know initiation to kind of bring that energy to them in the moment. Um, and then also, you know, I do like um, uh, workings with the ancestors, the ancestral realm. So I work as a spiritualist and a medium in that way. So if they want, um, you know, a white table, which is a, a ceremony in the, the Afro-diasporic tradition, um, I, you know, I do that type of work too. So being able to, you know, draw in different different parts of the community to come in and kind of help um, bring evolution to a client. Um, in, in terms of the curanderismo work that I do, that's much more hands-on, you know, uh, cleansings, um, uh, healings, things like that that are done with herbs and, and oils and, and uh, cigars, uh, those types of ingredients, if that makes sense. And I think people would be surprised at how, at how familiar they already are with a lot of the ingredients and things that are used, especially like in hoodoo and that kind of thing. 
Um, and I think it makes it easy for me and Hoodoo. It makes it so easy because the things are the way they're named <laughs> makes yeah. it very obvious what to do with them. <laughs> you know, like money drawing powder. Hmm, I wonder what that's for. <laughs> very esoteric. I know. It's just so ethereal. I need someone else to tell me and do it for me. Well, um, and I think that speaks a little bit to. So uh, these traditions never went away. There was never, you know, these, yeah. were, these were living traditions that were always practiced, but they're certainly getting a lot more interest. And I've always wondered if, um, for example, in the magical world, Wicca became, you know, and I am Wiccan, uh, became more interested in spirit, like, spirituality and nature and became less interested and made it very psychological. And people thought I started thinking of the gods as psychological constructs and, um, got, got kind of away from actually doing magic and then hoodoo's on the rise and then also tarot became very psychological yeah. same thing with astrology and so I'm wondering if that's has anything to, is that contributing to the reason people are interested in these like systems that are willing to be more specific and I mean I, I think so and I also think that depending on what, like what inspired the tradition to exist to begin with um you know, if you look at, like, at, you know, the European traditions or the, the kind of, you know, reclaimed traditions, whether it's Wicca or, or you know, um, uh, you know any, any type of, like, the, the kind of, like, the Celtic type of revisioning type of energy, that comes from a very different or, or very, um, you know, like a Victorian age type of, of energy. You know, both in terms of who was who were the actual like participants and practitioners, and what their needs you know were at that time. Um, and so, like with things like hoodoo, um, there's definitely I mean, it, it's born out of uh, oppression, um, and it, it's it, it's magical workings you know used during slavery, used during you know um, uh, um, like the hard times here in the U.S. Like if you look at the constituents and the practitioners, they were the the ones on the margins. They were the ones, you know, kind of doing the dirty work and not having any uh, uh, any other way of having agency in their world other than magical, you know, magical working. You know, and what do you have to, you know, what what can you do with a dime? you know, and your own blood, sweat, and tears, and prayers. You know, it's like that type of stuff. Um, and you're really using what's around you to create the most poignant change. Versus, like, you know, sometimes I see some, some spells in, in, you know, neo-pagan traditions that are like, okay, the 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 wool or the, the hair, the fur from a wolf, you know, the tooth of a rabbit, you know, something like that. I'm like, well, where am I going to get that? You know what I mean? Like, what's <laughs> and me finding that immediately around me, you know? Mm, makes sense, absolutely. And I think that that is that speaks to the importance of um, being very aware and connected to the spirits of the land and the spirits of the place where you are. Yeah. Because you know, and we and really we see that you know it's interesting today because we have so much information and access to how cultures in other times did things, and so you. You know, and then you see the arguments around people that are reconstructionists and all that kind of stuff about you can only use these things because that's what they used 3,000 years ago or whatever. But if you really look at that, the people using that 3,000 years ago were using what was around them. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 to me, the more important thing is to understand 
why they were using it and what you know what energy it had or what significance it had in terms of the purpose that they were using it for and if it is not something that is locally available to you and i know we can get those things now too because you know i can order something from africa on the web and have it come here and it doesn't lessen the energy of it but it may lessen the connection that i might have to it because it's almost like i'm doing it because this is what I was told to do or read that they did versus having my own personal connection to it. And so I think it's important. And I think that's why Hoodoo especially and Conjure, I don't know if those are really different, but um, because they're so American or North American based, uh, that there's a lot more familiarity and ease that people may have or comfort with that because it's using very familiar ingredients and tools because it's it's a plant that grows here it's not some plant that sounds exotic because it grows in the middle of africa and i have to have it shipped here you know and all that kind of stuff um exactly well and and that's the key is you know also there you know in hoodoo it's a magical system it's not a religion so there's less emphasis on like some all-powerful god or what have you that's gonna you know save you if you pray in a certain way um, this is much more of what can I use, how can I use my will to actually go and create what I'm looking for. And not that I'm saying that, you know, quote-unquote God doesn't have a place, but I think that it's, it, you know, the majority of the practitioners that I know, um, you, how do I put this, like, just engage with the God form in a different way. You know, and even though hoodoo is technically like, you know, like Southern Baptist, the majority of like, down south, if you want to look at it, the Southern Baptist, it's the Pentecostals. It's like that 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 community um, that that would also, you know, work these type of magical traditions. Um, but it's much more of seeing yourself, you know, as the the kind of like all powerful, or not necessarily all powerful figure, but the 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 figure of agency in the work, you know. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, me doing an offering um, to somebody else to have it kind of. Uh, coalesce in a, in a different way, you know. And I've noticed that sort of, sort of more like the southern traditions in Hoodoo, um, as far as divination goes, um, is willing to just work with the question as it is given to them by the querent. Whereas if, in tarot, if someone comes to you and says, "I think I have a curse on me," then you're supposed to go through this big psychological. Well, okay, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but there's often like encouragement to tell, well, no. You're dealing with your shadow work. No one's put a curse on you. Let's take a look. And, you know, <laughs> whereas I usually conjure, they're like, okay, a curse. Let's take a look. <laughs> exactly. Well, and even like looking at what a curse can be. So is it just always that somebody's doing negative magic on you? Or can it be thought form? Can it be projections? Like, and then to be able to give a prescription based upon that specific form in which that the quote-unquote curse is coming through you, you know? And even, I mean, to be quite honest, like even if um, a client comes with me and they, they, you know, are saying they have a curse and I don't see it, I still prescribe a, you know, kind of clear bath to, and, and to, you know, a three-night a three kind of clear, like kind of ritual bath type of, of, of energy just to even disengage that narrative because the moment that you think that you have it is the moment that, that you're allowing something outside of yourself to kind of really claim power over your life, you know? Yeah, right, because whether you're 
generating the the curse or whatever you know right. for yourself because you keep thinking that or whether it's something outside of you in a sense it gets to a point where it doesn't matter yeah it's more about let's let's break that energy regardless of where it's coming from right. rather than getting so worried about where it's coming from <laughs> that we kind of get lost in being able to move forward right uh, exactly. So when, so, so when would you, A, because, uh, you know, there's there's times, for example, a lot of times when people are learning to read Tarot, one of the things that ta- is taught to them is knowing when to tell someone that you can't or won't do a reading for them, that you don't have to do a reading for them, because uh, it may not be the right time, may not be the right thing. How do you determine when, say, divination is or is not the appropriate thing to do uh, and how do you then determine and get the person to understand what is the right thing for them to do versus because sometimes people are very stuck you know they think, no I need a reading uh-huh. on this and you're like no <laughs> that's not really going to serve the purpose here uh, uh-huh. you know so how do you determine that and then communicate that to the person well, I, I think I mean it's very individualistic, but but my perspective or my perspective on that is, you know, trusting my own gut and to be able to read somebody, whether it's within the first like five minutes of the conversation that I have with them on the phone, or just the first you know interaction with them, you know, shaking their hands, whatever. But usually I can tell their state um, of consciousness or just how they kind of are, are coming to me. Um, the other thing um, has to do with with literally how, um, I mean, if they have space for me to actually enter into the conversation. Because there are some clients who just call you, you know, on the phone, you know, and literally, like, you have, uh, I mean, you don't answer the phone and they call, like, seven times, you know, one after the other. And so that all, that tells me that there's, you know, that, that A, it's an emergency, but B, also that there's this kind of, like, in, need in the moment to, um, to to kind of need something bigger than maybe what I'm a- able to give them, you know, right then and there. Um, the other thing has to do, and, and what I mean by reading them is, you know, seeing if if they actually seem like in the, the right mind uh, to, to, you know, engage in the metaphysical arts or whether they might have some other type of, um, you know, whether it's mental issue or, you know, they might just need a day to kind of take everything in and come back, um, but, but how settled they are in their bodies, you know. Um, the other thing, you know, has a lot to do with what they want to inquire, up, uh, inquire about to begin with. Um, you know, I let people know, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not Jesus. Like, I'm not the all-powerful, you know, uh, person who can, who can handle everything. And that there are some people who, are, who you know, are, are don't, you know, I don't have their medicine. I don't, I'm not able to you know, treat their problem. Um, And that's everything from, you know, I I just had somebody who lost lost a child um, literally within 24 hours of them calling me and wanted some sort of, uh, you know, and this is like a a newborn baby, you know, and and wanted some sort of, um, you know, just just kind of to talk in with somebody to check in and to, you know, also see, you know, what their own spirits were, you know, inquiring or, you know, engaging them to, you know, heal that, that space. And I could tell from her voice that, you know, A, as a man, you know, B, as a person who doesn't have 
any kids. I just don't have any rel- like any relationality to that situation whatsoever, you know. And so I ended up, you know, having her speak to an elder um, who, you know, has had those experiences. Um, and, and so, you know, definitely depending on, on the situation, um, you know, and then the quality of, of uh, their presence is how I, I determine whether or not I can read for them, if that makes sense. Yes. Am I commuted? Absolutely, it does. And that's, um, it's one thing to always try and want to be able to read for anybody or give it a go, but it it seemed like in that moment to you, it just made the most sense for the client, for their needs to speak to someone who would maybe be a little closer to that kind of situation. So I think that was a good move on your part. Well, and to, just be, to identify like where it's coming from, whether it's actually about wanting me to do a divination or to justify their own, you know, their own thoughts and ideas of, of what they already think is happening, you know? So I have a bit of a nuts and bolts question for you. I've seen cowrie shell sets before, and it's a, it's, it's very seems very mystifying and mysterious. I mean, to me, when I'm looking at cards, even a very abstract deck, I'm working kind of with the images, and so I, I might know sort of like the occult meanings behind the the system, but I'm also getting to sort of intuitively check in with the pictures. So mm-hmm. there's something very um, terrifying about the, the having to read with a system where you're out using these different cowrie shells. They all look very similar. How does one go about? I know that there's a there's an interest in going into these sort of um, like lot systems and sortilage systems, but it, it can seem daunting. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And I mean, I had to learn, I mean, I was, and I'm still a student, like, don't get me wrong. Um, I am a priest of six years, about to go into my seventh year um, in August. And, you know, from the moment that I was, you know, on in my initiation period and, you know, since I was officiated as an official priest in the community, I've been studying Odu, you know, um, both through books, through teachers, um, through, you know, my elders, all that kind of stuff, and, and really being able to get a grasp of, of what the actual system means. Um, the calorie shell, like, the reason why the calories are used is it's literally accounting. Um, of, because the, the Odu are based on a numerological association. So, um, and during the read, uh, you, you throw two times um, at, the very, at the very minimum. Um, the first time is the, the first, you know, uh, the first O2, um, which gives you, like, let's, there's 16 calories altogether that you're throwing. So let's say, you you know, the first throw comes up as an eight, which is Agbe. So that's literally eight mounds up. Um, and that's, um, that's the, the most senior of the O2s. That's the first O2 that came into being. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and so I would literally count out the eight shells, right? And the second uh, throw, it, you know, I count out again, you know, and that gives me the second leg. And so that combination then tells me what the actual, you know, the formats of the reading is. Um, so it, it's not necessarily about the, how do I put this? Like, the shells are, are like the medium through which the information is transmitted, but it's much more reliant on memory and um, the ability to, to, to kind of numerologically place that as opposed to pictorially, if that makes mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. So 
select Agbe is, is the number eight in the, in the Snakawi shell. Um, and that's the first Odu, and that speaks to the creation of the universe, the expansion of, you know, light into being. It, it, you know, it's, you know, going, being able to have all possibilities all at once. Um, and so, you know, part of, part of that is also knowing when to kind of uh, bring your focus in and really be able to, you know, not go in a million different directions and only take five, five feet, you know, choosing one or two directions and being able to move miles, you know. So uh, it's that, you know, openness, that possibility, you know. And then the second leg, you know, could be anything. It could be, you know, Oyeku, which is, you know, uh, the dark times. It's the night. It's the it's the contraction, whereas Agbe is the expansion. So, you know, that Odu would talk about the balance between, you know, the light and the dark. So if it was Agbe Oyeku, if it was, you know, Agbe Oshe, which is, the, you know, five uh, calories up, Oshe is the manifester. It's the, you know, it's the, one of the signs that Oshun was born into. So it has that, you know, um, that great manifesting as my will is, so it is in the world type of idea. So, you know, it would go from the expansion of having all your roads open into what are you actually manifesting. And those are just like really five-second snippets of, you know, the Odu, and, and they each have associations with them in terms of Arisha, in terms of, actual offerings that can be made to, you know, either enhance the energy or change it, as well as behavior modification. So, you know, some of them say, like, literally, you know, do not, you know, do not cheat on your on your spouse because your luck will be, you know, your, your luck will be uh, taken in that moment, you know. Do not lie uh, specifically in this situation because, you know, there will be dramatic consequences, you know, based upon, you know, any you know, any lies that come about, you know. So they tell you things that are good for you as well as things that you can kind of modify in your own behaviors to, to um, reposition yourself to the goal that you're trying to achieve. And it strikes cool. me that the, the kind of the, the mechanics of that remind me of the I Ching process. Yeah. Because you kind and, of are doing I mean, the same thing. And it's interesting, like, in my opinion, and I, I've seen this, you know, in some historical um, uh, historical accounts, is that there was a big dialogue, and there still is, between Africa and Asia. Um, and that does not surprise, I mean, you know, there's a reason why I Ching feels very familiar to me, you know, in terms of being, uh, you know, an, uh, um, a Delaguna or an Arisha, you know, worker, a Delaguna reader, you know. There's a way in which that, that system makes sense. Um, both in terms of the uh, context in which it's read, um, as well as, like, the, the information that's given, you know. Um, it's very different from the way, like, you know, from the tarot, from more European-based ways of working. Um, and so that doesn't, you know, there's a reason for that, let me put it that way, you know. And I'm not saying that they're the same cultural scripts, but there's enough uh, cultural exchange for there to be similarities. No. Speaking of cultures, um, whereas where, where sort of tarot doesn't belong to any particular, you know, it came from Italy as a game. The French decided, you know, applied the occult to it. The English put better pictures on it. It just sort of it sort of evolved, but it's not deeply rooted in any culture like ideology. And so my question for you is, if someone who is not a part of Yoruba culture, um, uh, genealogically or in, 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 their, yeah. in their bloodline, 
and they want to, per, like, they're interested or they're curious about these things, is there anything that they need to be aware of in order to approach this respectfully since this is another culture, or a, a particular culture's system? Well, I mean, I think that there's two things that I like to address there. I, I mean, I, I definitely understand your idea of, like, you know, based in Europe, like, the tarot not necessarily being owned in a specific, like, cult, like within the boundaries of a specific nation. But I do think that it comes with its own inherent cultural scripts, um, you know, whether that's, you know, the Ace of Swords or the, the Ace of Cups that has the, you know, the big bird flying into a chalice. Like, how are you going to understand that concept if you don't have some idea of, you know, um, I mean, the female archetypes, you know, or, or the way in which that present, that element is being, you know, seen in, you know, seen in the context, you know. Um, but in terms of, like, you know, not appropriating, um, I, I think, I mean, and one of the elders that, that really inspired me is this amazing candomblé uh, priestess out of uh, Brazil. And, you know, she talks about the elements not being, uh, you know, the elements not being owned by anybody. And you want to go experience, you know, you want to go experience the river, you go experience the river. You want to go experience the ocean, you go experience the ocean. You know, you want to see fire, you experience fire, right? And so at the, at the base core, you know, all of us have, um, have the ability to go and experience the elements in the way that they speak to us. In terms of Arisha work, um, you know, one of the biggest things that I tell people is, you know, go out and find community and, you know, go and experience a, a bimbe or a tambor, which is a, you know, it's a ritual party, basically, where we drum and we dance and we invoke these spirits into space to come and kind of bless us. And they come down and, you know, there's possession experiences. There's all types of things that happen during those ceremonies. And it's literally like a six-hour, you know, almost like a dance race in some ways. Um, but, but, you know, old school, you know what I mean? Um, so so there, there's, you know, chances in which you can publicly, you know, work with these energies. Um, the other thing that I would recommend, you know, people doing is to just be aware of, you know, where they're reading it. Like who, you know, who are they getting the knowledge from? Are they, you know, initiated? Are, you know, where, where are there, you know, where does this lineage stem from? Because this is also a tribal religion, um, and so there isn't a, a pope of, you know, the Orishas, you know what I mean? And so it depends on where you are in the world, what your community, uh, what your community experience is of those specific elements. And while we all have general characteristics of how we all work and what, you know, the Odu is the Odu, you know, is the Odu, no matter whether you're talking about it in Nigeria or whether you're talking about it in Cuba, um, you know, people's perceptions and what they, you know, what the, the kind of, um, how do I put it, the modifications of the system is very much, you know, also dependent upon the community of worship, if that makes sense. And so, you know, these are things that you can just read about and things that you know. You know, you actually have to, there's, there's a community component as part of it, you know. And, and speaking of community and cultural influence, uh, you gave a talk or presentation at Pantheacon this year on queering conjure. And uh, I believe that's also a bit of a broader initiative that you are working on, working towards. Uh, could you maybe explain a little bit about what that is and what you're trying to do there and, and where that's going for you? 
Absolutely, and thanks for asking about that. That was so much fun um, at Penn State Con, and I had a blast. This is my first year of both going and presenting, um, and so just loved the atmosphere. I loved everybody there. Um, one of the big things that I'm interested in, you know, as a queer man on the earth is ways in which um, spiritual practice um, has always been, or, you know, has existed for us in one form or, or fashion, you know, in another um, and specifically within the, the conjure communities and the uh, you know Hoodoo communities, there seems to be an overglaze, you know, at least at the moment, um, or more of a translation of okay, these are heteronormative working, these you know, and, and we can translate them into a more you know um, a, a more gay type of lens or a more you know queer type of lens. Um, and so what I, what, what one of the big things that I'm working on is looking at the historical, like, uh, the historical presence of conjure workers, magic workers, which is however you want to describe it within the landscape of hoodoo. Um, and I think also outside of hoodoo, but, but my, you know, my foothold here is within the, 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 the hoodoo, you know, hoodoo narrative, so to speak, specifically in the South, um, and, 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 you know, very much centered in, you know, kind of a North American way of working or North American magic in some way, shape, or form. And so looking at it historically, you know, what are the populations that are, you know, originally kind of amalgamated, you know, the Hoodoo tradition, you know, which is like West Africa, um, specifically like the Congolese-based uh, uh, religious traditions are very present in Hoodoo, the Irish, um, a lot of, Native American, depending on, on the tribes and locations throughout the South, all had influences, um, you know, and then depending on the time in history, you know, certain, uh, uh, certain populations were considered, you know, white at one time um, or, you know, not white and then white at one time. So Italian, you know, uh, there's a lot of Jewish influence because of the, uh, uh, because of the, the pharmacists uh, and the, the kind of like the early generation of, metaphysical shops back in like the 30s and 40s that would sell, you know, like just me love oil or, or just me now oil or, you know, Florida water or things like that. Um, and so there, there's this kind of like talking, you know, talking in within communities and also just as a, as a whole, um, because these were marginalized communities, there seems to be a little bit more, um, uh, there's a little bit more framework or a, a little bit more openness to talk about sexuality. Um, and to talk about, you know, ways in which um, gayness or queerness gets expressed um, within, a, with, within a spiritual context. Um, so looking at that, um, then the second, the second part of, of, you know, what I'm doing is actually, you know, looking and working with uh, individuals who want to develop a, a conjure community, a queer conjure community that, that is wanting to, um, like, handle, you know, people to people in our community, to uplift them, to, you know, hold space um, for each other, um, as well as, um, you know, a, a space to talk about, you know, how can we actually create magic in the now that are reflective of, of what we need in this time and space versus what was relevant or true, you know, three or four or 10 or 15 or 30 years ago, you know? Um, so how do we create those working based upon the, the tradition that we have, you know, set um, and the roots of the herbs that we already have available to us? How can we, you know, kind of reframe these and work within that to create something new? 
Um, the other part that I am really drawn that, that that I've been really drawn to in this work is also providing kind of a a space for all of us to talk about what does this actually mean for us to exist as kind of practice, magical practitioners within the queer body, and how can we actually engage the body as a form of magic and as a as a as a mojo in and of itself, if that makes sense, as a working. Um, and what can we use, you know, what can we use in that in that way so everything becomes you know, kind of an organic, you know, or organic within, you know, within our working. Um, and then, uh, you know, finally, um, the the last part of it, the, the queer conscious community or the collective is uh, doing kind of um, ritual working down public um, and having that kind of performativity and looking at what does it look like to actually have role models in our communities who are workers who you know, unabashed about who we are and what we do and really putting it out there um, as a kind of a performance art piece as well. Um, so having those different, you know, forms all being part of this, and it's still very new within the, the first, you know, three or four months of conception. Um, and over this next, like, couple of months, I'm doing a career conjure, uh, free career conjure talk um, uh, via teleconference um, on the epistemologies and etymologies. Um, of magic within the body and how do we you know, know what we know within the body consciousness um, and what does that mean in terms of magic and how do we make magic that's based, you know, that's from from the body versus from the intellect or from just the kind of theoretical, you know, basis. What does that mean to, to really be embodied within our magic in that way and to, and to work in that space? Um, so this all kind of uh, an influx or, you know, in transition being created as we speak. And hopefully, you know, here within this next like couple of months, I'm going to be signing on some other uh, lecturers and, and, and uh, speakers to come in and give different, you know, opinions on what queer conscious could be and how it can work as a collective. And, you know, it's interesting. Way back when I, you know, first started learning about magic and divination, I, I just I just sort of took for granted that everything was very heterosexual and. When, you know, you would read a love spell, it was always very much, you know, if you're a male trying to attract a female, or if you're a female trying to attract mm-hmm. a male, and you sort of just imagine, well, I guess I just have to just do the one to attract a male. And it wasn't until I encountered sort of hoodoo that I started to see, like, lavender love drops, specifically mm-hmm. made for, like, a gay relationship. I thought, well, that's, that's unique. And I love that Kat Ironwood kind of, on her site, you mentioned her earlier, and she, uh, Kat Ironwood on her site, uh, talked about the origins of them and the different recipes and where they came from. And I thought that was, um, yeah, that, that was the first time I'd ever encountered that was within sort of the conjure traditions. Well, it's interesting even looking at the um, ethnographies um, because the Hyatt book, I'm not sure if you all know about Harry Hyatt. Um, he was this uh, minister back in the like early 30s. And I, I think he was in Ohio and then, uh, decided to go out and then do these kind of like massive ethnographies of, you know, specifically communities of color uh, populations in the Deep South and folk, on folk tradition. Um, but one of the earliest um, earliest accounts that I was able to to find was from the 19 like 1930s 1945s of this trans uh, trans man um, who, uh, you know, they they referred to him as a sissy boy. Um, but it was interesting in, in the way that he he spoke about himself and the way that he spoke about love and in the specific way that he, you know, spoke about the prescriptions that he was given 
you know, to kind of find the love he was looking for, how that was, I mean, that, that was within the discourse already, you know. And so we're finding this in 1945, you know, that has me believe that, you know, at least, you know, into the 1900s or the early 1900s, if not, you know, before then, there was already a discourse enough so that there are workings to, to be seen and to be done, you know, to, to bring these type of, of relationships in, you know. And I think that maybe, because I know that there are people that would question, well, why does it have to be, you know, why do you have to try to queer conjure anyway? Why can't uh, anyone just use the, the tried and true things that are already there? But I think it, it it's an important thing in the sense that it shouldn't be about how does how do we adapt ourselves to the tools versus how do we adapt the tools to who we are? Because mm-hmm. we shouldn't have to be shifting, changing, or trying to make something, make ourselves work with versus those things are there to work for us and with us. And so I think it's important to approach it in the way that you are and to be developing that because it says, no, we have the tools and the processes and the understanding of it. How do we now apply that effectively and appropriately to who the queer community is rather than expecting the queer community to somehow try to adapt to the tools and the processes in some way? Absolutely, and and knowing that the queer community is always in flux and always in change, and so being being okay with having tools that that can always be in flux and always in change as well. That it's not that this is the way it is, you know, forever. This is just the way it is now. And the more information that we're able to gather and you know uh, think about and, and bring together and discuss, the more that we're able to kind of re you know kind of resignify what we're working with and how we're working with it so is there some place that people can find out information about the the work that you're doing um, um, online or that kind of thing um, honestly my facebook right now is is the easiest way to uh, key into the queer conjure uh, workshops and community uh, i am going to be launching a queer conjure uh, facebook page um, here within this next like two or three weeks, um, but between now and then just find me on Facebook and, and we'll talk. And so they can just search Lou Flores? Yes, Lou Flores. F-L-O-R-E-Z. Uh, yes. So uh, speaking of the tools and, and using them, uh, one of the things that we had asked you to uh, perhaps offer for people listening today is uh, April is at particularly challenging month astrologically speaking (laughs) it's as if these major storm systems are all coming to a head and passing through this month all at once and so you perhaps have something that people can use uh, a prescription if you will uh, to best navigate through the turbulence that is april well, I mean, and these are kind of, this is a prescription kind of drawn from different uh, parts of my workings or the way that I work. Um, you know, in terms of the Grand Cross energy and just how insanely chaotic everything has been, and specifically, you know, with this with this kind of looking at, at with you know the whole Pluto and, and Saturn energies around death and that kind of transmutation of death. 
one of the biggest things that, that I like to talk about is peace work, um, both internally, how do we find our peace, um, externally, how do we create a peace in the environment, so that way, while these, you know, spiritually, you know, active and, and healing elements are kind of working through us and within us, we don't have to be unbalanced or, you know, generate so much chaos that we don't know where, where we find ourselves or that we become depressed. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that I like to work with is blue water. Um, and I'm not sure how many people are familiar with this. Um, the, the idea stems from um, kind of like the early 1900 spiritualists um, and working with uh, the, the evil eye of all things. And the evil eye was seen as like envy that would create heat on the body. Um, and it was that gaze, you know, that, that kind of heated gaze of, of I want and the jealousy and the pettiness that can come from, you know, the, the, those kind of like thought ma- ma- manifestations. And so uh, the early, you know, spiritualists back in the day uh, would work with uh, bluestone, which was originally like copper sulfate. Um, and that was a very harsh chemical. Actually, now we know that it causes um, causes cancer, causes all types of nasty side effects. And, you know, people were having a reaction to it, you know, early on, and so they then changed it to the anal balls, um, which are, are the, the little blue squares, either like rickets blue, bluing, um, which is used to out kind of like white white, um, and it, it cast that, that blue dye in the water and kind of, uh, you know, allows the, the white to even be more brighter, you know, because of the blueness. Um, or uh, what are called anal balls, which are the little, um, the little blue balls that you find at little metaphysical stores throughout the country. Um, and what I like to do is uh, use these to create uh, blue water, which is good to both cool and cleanse um, the energetic, like, auric field. Um, and what you do is you literally take a, one of those little blue balls, you find a glass jar or a glass bottle or a mason jar, whatever you, you know, whatever you want. You uh, drop that, that ball in there with um, some Florida water. Um, and Florida water is an alcohol-based um, uh, uh, water, which is used to kind of create uh, peace and tranquility and have that air of, um, of uh, mastery as well as uh, clear spring water that you add in to do half Florida, half spring, and then the blue ball. Um, and you literally let the blue ball dissolve, and then you shake it up. And, the sh- you know, you gently shake it up. And this is supposed to represent the chaos of the mind, the chaos, you know, in your energetic field. And then you, you know, say as the, you know, this water, um, as this water turns, as this water uh, shifts and becomes peaceful, let my, you know, let my mind, let my body, let my spirit be at peace. And so then, you know, it slowly starts to um, starts to uh, disintegrate or to uh, how do I put it? Like a, um, the blueness starts to settle. That's what I was looking for. It slowly starts to settle. Um, and, and every day you do this, you you know, shake it up a little bit to where it gets really blue. And then, you know, you say your prayers of peace, of tranquility, and it slowly, you know, starts to settle, representing the calmness of the mind, that your energetic field, that your body, you know, settles. And you put these jars in each of the, of the four corners of the house, in, in your windows. Um, you've also seen, I'm not sure if you've seen, like, the blue, uh, the blue bottles, uh, the trees, like, in the south. 
Um, but all those are, are significant and, and you need to kind of like throw off that, that kind of chaos, that kind of, you know, that healing element that can cause confusion, that can cause it um, to, to misstep or miscommunicate. Um, then from there, what I like to work with is uh, taking that blue water, adding in uh, things like shea butter, things like cascaria, um, a little bit of uh, 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 mint and chamomile and basil, um, and boiling that all together and then doing a blue bath. Um, and you can, uh, you know, you do that over three nights. Um, some people like to do it during the full moon, have, you know, the gaze of spirit over you, um, just to kind of pull and calm and, and settle things down. And then um, the last thing that you can do is uh, doing like a, a, a quick um, head ro- or head wash with uh, coconut water. And coconut and, and a lot of the Afro-Caribbean tradition represents the pureness of the, of the spirit, the pureness of the soul. Um, and so you open, you know, you say your prayers, you open the, the coconut up, and then you literally take that water and some of the pulp and, and wash your forehead with it just to do... That, that kind of like cleansing wash to bring the tra- chaos and the, the heat out of the head and out of the body. And then you uh, wrap your head up in white cloth and you just kind of settle for the night. And the next morning you take your shower, you wash everything out, and that's just a real simple, you know, fast head washing. Um, so everything from, you know, like the, the blue bottle spells to, you know, bring that, that peace and that ease in the house. Um, and to kind of waylay the, the chaos and the energy there, the blue bath, to the, you know, coconut head scrub wash. And then, you know, just in terms of working with that, um, like I was talking about before, that constriction through Pluto and Saturn, um, you know, one of the big things that I like to do is working with my ancestors. And voodoo, you know, we call it like ancestral shelf, where we have, you know, pictures of, you know, all the people who we love to, you know, are part of our lives. And, you know, we, we give them offerings, we give them plates of food, you know, water, things like that, light. Um, and we ask that they kind of, you know, either remove any negativity that comes in through our lives, you know, over this next month through these energies to avert anything, any possible, you know, misunderstandings or avert any negativity in that way. And then to also bring in the, um, you know, bring in the money, bring in the success, bring in the love, the blessings that we're trying to create and manifest. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that actually stems from, you know, the African diaspora tradition and, and you know, African tradition um, of having your, your ancestral space or your bóveda, um, and, you know, in Santeria, which is your, your, you know, ancestral altar that you work. Um, but I was always taught that the ancestors are the first force that can both, you know, close up any holes within your auric field um, and kind of avert these negativities as well as bring in the blessings because they are the ones who knew what it was like to live. And so they know the urgency of your request um, versus like elementals or, you know, orishas who aren't necessarily um, embodied in the, in the physicality of the world in the way that we are, you know? Yes. So, so there were a number of things there. So one thing that I'm going to ask you and that I'm going to offer to our listeners is that um, we will get this from Lou kind of just written up in a brief description or outline, and we will post the information on our Amethyst Oracle Facebook page uh, so that people listening 
Um, you can always go listen in the archives, but that way you also will have something that you can reference um, to see what some of these things are and what it is that you would need to do with them. So hopefully that's all right with you, Lou, to just have a little outline that we can give people so that they can have that to reference for the things you've just mentioned. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and I did just want to mention for people, because we were kind of really referring to the astrology here, for the, the, the chaos of this month, while we're probably already feeling it, it's like we're, we're on the on-ramp and we're practically on the freeway at this point, and it's really from the 15th with the, the eclipse through the end of the month. So the things that Lou was just mentioning are really, really good to start thinking about doing soon uh, and perhaps to think about doing throughout, especially the last half of the month, because that's really kind of the peak of all of this that's happening right now. Um, so can you just tell us, uh, before we close, Lou, where people can find you and contact you? I know if they that, that you're at Lucky Mojo on certain days, you're now at Sacred Well in Oakland, so can you tell people how they can uh, both find you and contact you if they were interested in readings or other services that you offer that they would like to work with you? Absolutely, and thank you for, for asking. Um, I'm at Lucky Mojo um, Curio Company in Forestville, California from um, Thursdays through Mondays, um, uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., um, and you can book any time that you want, either by calling us or by uh, sketching on my website at loopswaters.com. Um, I'm also uh, doing work at the Sacred Well every fourth Tuesday of the month. Um, so come out. I-, I believe the next one is April 22nd. Um, and you can either uh, call Sacred Well and book, you know, with them, or you can, you know, contact me and I can put you on my schedule. Um, and, and so those are the two primary, you know, ways of, of uh, working with me and contacting with me. And also, you know, Facebook. I, I love Facebook. It's a platform that I use regularly. So shoot me a, a note sometimes if you want to. And even if people can't come to you in person, you can also do sessions over the phone or that kind of thing. Is that correct? Yes, I do uh, readings over the phone, Skype, um, email readings, all that. All right. And, and of course, again, if you suddenly have lost your mind and forgotten what he said or what we've said about how to contact him, you can always go to our Emmett Historical uh, Facebook page and just say, how do I get in contact with that person? And we will make sure that you know. So we would like to say thank you very much for having Absolutely. taken the time to join us this evening. And I know that it's been very enlightening for a lot of people because these are some traditions and things that a lot of people don't necessarily have a lot of knowledge about or sometimes have misperceptions about. And so, you know, we're very grateful to you to being, uh, to having been willing to be here and both share what those things are and maybe help to dispel some of the misconceptions and broaden the understanding of what they have to offer people. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. Oh, and just one last final thing. If people are interested in, you know, how to learn about hoodoo, um, the Hoodoo uh, Cultural Festival is happening um, at Lucky Mojo this year, uh, May. It's the first weekend of May. So I believe that is uh, uh, Saturday the 3rd, Sunday the 4th. Um, And you can find more about that, you know, on the Lucky Mojo website if you're interested as well. All right, which is just, I think, luckymojo.com, if I recall correctly. Correct. Yes, yes. And thank you guys again, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. 
Really Thank appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I do want to remind people, if you would like to get a reading during the show, um, that you can call in and get into the queue. You can either Skype from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510 and you can get into the queue and we will be offering readings here very shortly just after our Living the Queer Life segment, which is coming up next. So we're going to take a quick break. You can grab a little bit of tea. You can quickly call in and get into the queue and we will be right back. Divination with a Queer Twist with hosts High C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash The Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show. Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest. Or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. And we are back. I'm High C, and I am joined by my co-host, Charlie. Hey there. And this is the Amethyst Oracle. And this brings us to our Living the Queer Life segment, which we do every month. And this is when Charlie and I both pull a card to help illuminate and guide us in being our queerest selves in the coming month. Um, Now, Charlie, I will ask you what your intention was behind the card that you pulled when I was pulling mine. 
it was tying into the whole astrological aspect to simply say how can we best navigate through and how can we best learn from and work with what's going on, as chaotic as it may be, rather than simply feeling overwhelmed and buried by it. And you? You meant yes. Uh, you mentioned the the astrological challenges of April, and I, I thought, oh well, I always love April. April is the month of Aphrodite. It's the month of of me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. I was born in April, so um, I well, okay. What's what else? What's available? What is available in this sort of soup of of interestingness and chaos? And if just for a bit of um, radio, I'm I'm reading with runes. You can might be able to hear them. They're actually made of antler. I um, painted these myself. I oh. um, from antler rounds from uh, that were dropped naturally by a living uh, deer. <laughs> so no no animals were harmed in the making of this reading. And um, I pulled uh, the rune Soilo um, just a moment ago, and it's actually my favorite rune. Just a moment about the runes. I was I've been working with the runes a lot more uh, lately, and it's such a different tradition than tarot and oracle cards, and it's very philosophical, so I thought it fit. And um, also, Lou's uh, talking about the, I would mispronounce it, but the cowrie shell divination kind of inspired me a bit. So I got Soilo. Soilo is the rune of the sun, and it's actually it's my favorite rune. Um, it often comes up for me when I'm about to undergo some spiritual transformation in my life. Um, it is a rune of the the image of the rune. It looks like um, the letter S, but it also looks like lightning, and which represents um, connecting the human to the divine realm, and it is the realm of spiritual power, especially spiritual willpower. And it is a rune that melts the ice and brings us into action. So this is not meant to be a... Con- uh, according to me <laughs> and this rune here, um, uh, this is not meant to be a contemplative time. This is a, uh, a time to... Um, it is a, as Elizabeth Taylor would say, it's a time for guile and gusto. And... So Soilo, um, it's with that the idea of the lightning and the um, what's over the horizon. It is a rune of standing up, standing very tall, ra- raising yourself up out of the clutter and drama of the situation, and having action-oriented clarity about what it is you're doing and feeling confidence and feeling filled up with your own life force. It's very much connected to that sort of heat and life force energy and um, standing in your own power and, uh, and moving through this time and, and, making, and, and using the, uh, the power of spring, the power of life returning to the earth, uh, whatever the stars are doing um, to galvanize you and sort of feed on that and uh, use this time to um, be magnificent is what I have to say about the rune Soilo. Well, and I will I, I will just comment on something you were saying there too. Um, it can it, it, yes it call it it really does call for very. Um, focused intention of action and part of what I mean by that is know exactly what you're doing 
and exactly what you're doing it towards because during this particular time, anything that is not clear and extremely well-focused <laughs> will end up going very awry. So it makes me think of like the lightning bolt. You know, that's a very kind of harnessed energy that's very directed because it's just that one little streak of electricity. Um, You know, and it makes me think of the sun aspect because it says make sure that you are looking at everything in the full light of day and that you are only acting and moving forward when you can see fully and clearly for Mm -hmm. where you're going and what you're wanting and how you're going to do it. Um, If there's anything that is kind of unknown, then pause for a moment <laughs> and, mm. and, 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 and bring that illumination and that clarity and only operate underneath where there is that illumination and clarity mm. um, for right now because that's, it, it, that's extremely important right now. Otherwise, it can so easily blow up in our face or go completely chaotically awry <laughs> that we, we don't want to be the, the agent of creating and causing that kind of pandemonium yeah it's um it's more it's a a filling yourself up with the available energy and the sureness that you have rather than sticking your fork in a socket to experience energy that way does that make sense (laughs) right it's like if you're in this huge kind of rain and wind storm Mm -hmm. if you're just trying to meander on a little sunday walk you're probably going to get blown all about and knocked down into a puddle and blown against a tree and, you know, thrown over a cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you kind of lean into the wind and the rain and you have that focus of this is where I'm going and I'm just going to walk hard and fast towards it against mm-hmm. whatever the wind is, then you are able to kind of meet that force head on and move through it. And that's mm. how I would kind of describe what this is saying that you have to do and have to be during mm. this particular time. Um, mm. You know, if, if you can't do that, then don't go out in the storm. <laughs> you um, know? I would say imagine yourself succeeding. Like, if you can't do that, get to the place, find the part of you that can do that. Like, what is causing the dithering? What is causing the un- un- unsureness? And it's not really a word. Insecurity. Um, like, what is what what is allowing chaos to reign and identify what about that is artificial um and, well well here the chaos is really being brought by the the astrological storm mm-hmm. and so there's not much that we can do about that versus mm-hmm. making sure we're operating within that in the proper mm-hmm. way and sometimes when the rain is too hard it's better for us to sit inside and wait we'll still go to our destination we just have to wait for it to let up a little bit but we can still do something productively because maybe that means we get the house cleaned, you know, instead of thinking we have to go out there to do something. So we can still have that energy and that purpose and that focus of doing something, but it may not be exactly what we thought we would be doing in that moment because we have to take into account the the weather system that's passing through. And, and part of why I say that, too, is because the card that came up for me is the star. And, okay. The third you know, star. And, <laughs> oh yeah and, and you know, like in the Osho Zen deck this, this card is called silence and you know the stars obviously are out at night well they're out all the time I realize that please people don't be sending me letters about the semantics <laughs> uh, you're so uh, anti-science <laughs> I know <laughs> um, the cosmos guy calling us but 
but there is that uh, to me it, it showed that balance that we need to really strive for which is if i know what i'm doing and how i'm going to do it and that's very directed energy then i go for it but if not or if there then sometimes that silence that period of waiting is actually more productive because there may be especially with the star card coming up it's kind of like you know if we if we silence ourselves or stop for a moment we may actually have something revealed to us that we wouldn't have seen otherwise because we were so caught up in the doing or the getting someplace that we missed the sign you know for me the star is often like the universe giving us a little neon sign flashing and so we can not notice that if we're so focused on looking down at where we're stepping because it's raining and we have to watch where each step is but if we're not quite so certain then it may be that that moment of silence is going to be what is illuminating for us so that we then understand what to do or how to move forward once the storm has started to ease up or pass excellent um, and also, just on a very simple note, the star is very often a card of hope or a return of hope. And so this also was a really nice card to see because you'll hear all sorts of doom and gloom and, oh, my gosh, it's practically the apocalypse, uh, you know, with what's happening astrologically. And the star card is like, you know, don't lose hope. Just like any storm, this will pass. We just have to either work in it in a proper way or sit it out while it passes over us. But don't lose hope because things aren't as bleak as they may seem in that moment. Um, just give it a little bit of time and it will pass. And things, just like with your card, it's kind of like saying things will get brighter. The sun will come back out. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. things will get better. Uh, so that also is what I think that card was saying is don't abandon all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> <laughs> ye who enter this astrological storm. Uh, so, so there you are. There is your living the queer life. There we go. Suggest- live it. Suggestion. Love it. <laughs> live queer, love queer, be queer. So, if you haven't already and you would like a reading, you need to Skype in or call 646-716-5510. This will be your last opportunity to get into the queue. We're going to take a quick little break so that you have that chance. And as soon as we come back, we're going to go to our callers. Um, the first one we will go to is calling from area code 714. So if you're calling in from area code 714, be prepared because we're coming for you next. Turn up the Fire 
are listening to the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist. Find out more at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. And we are back. I'm Hi C, joined by my co-host Charlie. Hello. And as you just heard, this is the Amethyst Oracle. And this is the portion of the show where we invite you, our listeners, to call in and receive a reading live on the air. Uh, and so... Uh, let's see, we're going to go to our phone queue, and who are we going to come on next? It is someone calling from area code 714. Are you there, caller from area code 714? Yeah, I just need a second to recover from that, and I might need to find a towel, apparently. But um, Well, wipe up already, for goodness sake. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so bad, but so good. That's right. <laughs> All right. So the better, the better. We are doing well. What's your name, and where are you calling from? My name is Casimir Joseph Patelski the Fourth, and I am calling from wonderful Mountain View. All right. Well, welcome to the show. What is well, it that we could look at for you today, and and offer you guidance with? Today, I was kind of pondering during um, the show when you guys were talking. You guys had a lot of good stuff to say. Uh, your guests were also very interesting as well. Just wanted to say thanks to them for, you know, sharing what they did. Um, but during that time pondering, um, there were two main subjects on my mind, and I was kind of battling which one to throw out there. But um, I sided with um, really wanting and seeking guidance and light on my healing path, I guess I would call it, that I find myself on and off of or just constantly on, but <laughs> it seems to, I seem to hide it from myself sometimes. But um, any guidance on um, where it's going or just anything really. <laughs> All right. Just say that one more time. Did you say your healing path? Yes. My healing path, yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> he just pops in to ask that. Um, well, while Charlie is, I don't know if he's doing runes or cards for this, um, but I have pulled cards, and the first card that came up actually is the Three of Cups. Now, what's interesting is this is one of the cards that Lou used as an example when he was talking about timing and that kind of thing. But what he was mentioning was that this is a card that comes up when we have been in a period of malaise, uh, when we've been in a period of either difficulty or sadness or darkness or depression. But the Three of Cups represents that we are starting to shift out of that and that we are kind of beginning to see the malaise or the... Oh, he, One of the things he said is kind of like walking through tar. And so when this card comes up, it's as if we were feeling that way, but this represents we're going to start feeling as if it's easier to begin walking uh, more freely, more smoothly. Um, plus, Three of Cups tends to be about um, group and social situations and networking. And so one thing that this could indicate is that in order to enhance or to move your healing path forward or for you to move 
down it, that um, it would be important to start looking at who and what you surround yourself by, both environmentally and people-wise, and to begin making more of an effort to put yourself in situations and around people that reflect the kind of path that you want to be on and are supportive of that, understanding of that, um, and are there to help you move down that rather than are constantly pulling you off of it or somehow causing you to doubt that path. Um, the Next to that is the wheel card reversed and the world card reversed. And, you know, Ultimately, when those when major arcana cards are reversed, they represent fear. And so the wheel card is about change, making major changes or setting something in motion, or sometimes taking a gamble or taking a risk or expanding into something bigger or allowing ourselves to move into something beyond what we're familiar with. And the reversal would say that there is a fear of change, a fear of how it might change us, a fear of the changes we may need to make in order to be more dedicated to or firmly on a particular path. And the world card actually reverses the ultimate fear card for me. Um, One thing that that says is that we're afraid it's never going to come together or we're afraid that we're never going to be able to see or uh, achieve the big, full, complete picture of something. But really it's fear. And in a sense, this is saying there's still a piece missing but we'd have to look at whether the piece missing is who or what you surround yourself with. So maybe that piece will be the final piece of the puzzle that you need to help feel as if you're more securely on that path. You have to look at whether that piece is something internal, um, whether it's our own fear or our own lack of discipline or our own whatever that's coming from inside of us that is getting in the way. And if that's so, again, surrounding ourselves by people and places that are encouraging and supportive means it helps us to work through our own fear because we don't feel alone or we don't feel as if every time we try to do it we meet with resistance or we meet with someone or something that pulls us off onto some detour. Um, So I think the big thing here is overcoming the fear of accepting and giving yourself over to whatever path is calling you and being willing to more fully immerse yourself in it. Um, The short term is the Two of Pentacles. That shows us that, one, we need need to get to doing the work with Pentacles, and uh, Two of Pentacles can indicate that it may be more than one thing at once. So instead of seeing it as simply, if I could only do this, then I would be able to do it, versus this is something I have to make room and time for with something else. And I see that all the time with people where they think, well, I would love to do that if I could do that full time, but since I can't because I have to work over here in some other job, then I can't do it or I don't do it or I don't make the time for it. And the Two of Pentacles is asking us for now in the short term, meaning for the time being, to be willing to see it as something I do in addition to something else rather than always demonizing the other thing as what takes us away from it, which in my example would be like people who say, well, if I didn't work a nine-to-five job doing X, Y, or Z, then I could do this kind of spiritual work or healing work or whatever. And to a pinnacle says, no, both things can coexist. You just have to be willing to put in the effort and to make the time and to set aside the space to do it 
and um, pentacles means having a plan. Pentacles means being organized um, and and being very grounded in it. So it's it's that willingness to just do the work and see it as something that you do in addition to something else, rather than always bemoaning the fact that you have to do something else and then that becomes the excuse as to why you don't do say the healing path work um and excuses can be as simple as oh i'm too tired or well i was going to do it but i had to get up early for work today it's like well okay then do it when you come home (laughs) um so uh charlie what what are you getting hello charlie Charlie. Um, you got runes and cards for me. So I pulled one rune for you, and this is the one I always have a little bit trouble pronouncing. It's um, Iwaz or Uwaz, uh, or Yuz guys. And <laughs> it is the rune of the yew tree, and it is about... Um, all right, imagine yourself as a bow, as, as in bow and arrow. It is important for you to be firm and flexible. I'll let High C be purient about that. I won't go there. But um, <laughs> firm and flexible in that you need to be, and I, I totally want to want to want to second what High C was saying about um, have, being rigorous with your with your practice and r- rigorous with yourself. But um, so firm in that you're going to adhere to your goals and flexible in your expectations. Um, it's very easy to be dissuaded on a path um, if we don't feel like we're seeing the results in real time. But um, Iwas also suggests that there is something in your life or something a part of this path that is coming to an end. It's um, It's a rune of death mysteries. And so it represents something has to shift out out of the old and into the new um and it also um the timing is critical right now for this for you so it is important to get more firmly down the path than you have been we um in the tarot part of the reading uh i got sun magician knight of cups and so Sun being where we are right now, there's a bit of uh, carefreeness that is a wonderful place to begin from. We just can't stay there. Um, the sun is... It's good at the beginning because we have, you have the clarity about what you want to do, or at least the, the, the clarity about the rightness or the feeling of, of this is the path for you, this is what you want to go down, but you can't stay in that sort of amorphous beginning place where everything's fresh and there's not a lot of pressure. The second card, the magician, is about focus. And um, uh, as far as healing goes, the magician as um, the, uh, in, in a reading about healing, the healing path represents that the energy has to be experienced. It can't be intellectual. It can't be um, uh, uh, strategized for a future date. And you have to, um, I guess Rachel Pollock, I loved, always talks about how the magician with his one hand up, one hand down, is constantly allowing the energy to flow through him and he's not trying to hold on to it or push it away. He's just a channel for it. So it is a time to, again, with that Ewa, 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 
<laughs> to be doing. Um, the Knight of Cups is wonderful um, in your future, but it also contains the kernel of a bit of a warning. So it's wonderful in the sense that um, Cups being healing, the Knight being more moving forward, it represents you taking risks, putting yourself out there, leaving behind a comfort zone, which there's that the ending. Um, Knights, I always see the Knights as they're going to go out and they're just going to try. They're going to, they're going to quest. The Knight of Cups, however, has a dreamy quality and it's very easy for a Knight of Cups type to be enamored with how wonderful something seems um, or how they imagine something will be someday or how something, uh, they, you know, they, they uh, spend a lot of time dreaming about the possibilities at the end of the road and they don't spend a lot of time walking down the road. They're the second slowest of the nights. And well, so, I, I, I would say they, they see it as an escape from something rather than a practice mm-hmm. that they're going to be doing. Yes, and it's just, it's very easy for a Knight of Cups. Okay, and it's a wonderful, it's, it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword. You're like That's a wonderful energy to engage with, um, that sort of romantic, that, 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 I mean, again, Cups are healing, but um, it's easy to get lost in fantasy land as that Knight of Cups. So, to recap, <laughs> it is wonderful that, so the, with the sun right now, it is wonderful that this feels right to you, you're interested, you're fired up, but it's time for the magician level of focus and um, feeling what it's like to experience healing energy, actually really feeling that and, and, and doing it and doing it until you um, become familiar with what that feels like, if that makes sense. And the Knight of Cups being the um, ultimate uh, resolution here. So um, these all look very summery to me. So by the end of summer, I'm talking about timing. In a few months, I um, would see some results. And it's important to not, to just keep moving through, keep going, keep keep on that path. Does that, how does that sound? All of you guys have so much stuff to say. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, Things for me to think about and ponder, both uh, good and, of course, some um, negative things for me to consider about choices and thoughts. But um, definitely a big help. I always love um, calling in to you guys and getting some guidance. And I think that from the fear that was coming up for me, um, that that magician card, the sun cards too, especially, but the magician card really often says we have all of the resources in front of us or available to us to get started. So that shows us with these cards that there's nothing that is lacking or missing um, that you somehow need or need to wait for or need to be afraid that you don't have in some way to, as, a, as an excuse or a reason to not be moving down this path. But it's very much about the magician is about will and putting will into action. And so it's very much about having the willpower to start the doing. Um, when, when Charlie said that there was a caution in the Knight of cups, it made me think of the three of cups that came up for me too, because with all of those cups, that escape aspect comes in. And especially when you have cups like that, you have to be very careful that you don't find other things to escape into um, Three of Cups is great for enjoying ourselves, but it can very easily slip into overindulgence. 
Uh, and there, again, we'd have to look at who and what we surround ourselves by and whether they encourage us to enjoy life or if they encourage us to overindulge to the point that it often gets in the way of what we're trying to accomplish in life. Um, so that would be one thing to watch out for, but especially Charlie's combination of cards was a really nice combination, and that Knight of Cups says, to me would say, you're, you're on the right path. It's just you now have to get more serious about the doing rather than thinking it's just a path that magically happens for you or to you uh, rather than something that you have to actively engage in making and creating yourself as well. Definitely a very interesting point on um, being careful the warning of overindulging. That's a very, very interesting point. But. That's why we're here, to give you something interesting to think about and ponder. Of course. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'd love to get some time to another guest. And um, just thank you so much for the guidance that you shared with me. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. Indubitably. (laughs) And, Charlie, I believe... uh, let me just check to make sure. I don't want anyone to be too our Alpha reading. and Omega? He was. Wonderful. He, he was the beginning and the end of all for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that will bring us to the close of yet another show. Well, it's so been, thank you very um, much. It's been a real wonderful, lovely time discussing yeah. time with you. And... Um, <laughs> was really great to get to hear from Lou. Um, I'll definitely be following his work more closely. Um, it's, I, I, it's wonderful seeing the, those traditions get some screen time <laughs> these days. Uh, yes. That they've been maybe not as, as openly regarded uh, in polite society. And I, <laughs> I think that the time for change has come. So really appreciate Lou for the work he's doing and for spending some time with us on the show. Yes. And like I said, we will get a, an outline from him of the things that he was suggesting and the, the list of the ingredients or the different tools and things that, that he was talking about, especially to use during this month of April. And we will post that to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the amethyst oracle where anyone can um, find them and reference them uh, for their use and benefit. So thank you very much, Charlie, for joining me once again to do this. We look forward to having you join us again next month. Uh, Amethyst Oracle airs the second Tuesday of every month at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And so our next show will be airing on Tuesday, May 13th. We invite you to join us then. Our guest will be Mary Greer. She, somewhat well known in the row world, you might say. The Mary Greer. <laughs> the Mary <laughs> Greer. The Mary Greer. That's right. The Mary K. Greer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we hope that you will join us then. Until then, we wish you a very queer month. Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. Divination with a queer twist. The Amethyst Oracle.
Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Revolution with Haisu Lutner. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Oh, buddy, see you.